It feels like open season during election season. No matter what side of the line you're on, talking about politics right now is heated and intense. Is there a way to engage in respectful dialogue right now? The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, this is Audrea Fink here with Rishia Kennedy Kapasiris and Julie Holton. We are your Think Tank of Three. Our guest today is Dr. Clara Doctolero, and we are talking about surviving an election season and really the political discussion in general when discussion of all things political can be so polarizing at work and at home. We're so excited to have you here, especially with your background. Dr. Clara Doctolero is a doctor in psychology. She has up to 20 years of extensive experience with coaching and evidence-based skills at the Seattle Psych Studio. And her most recent appointment is as founder and executive coach at EI Resources, LLC, EI equaling emotional intelligence. Dr. Dr. Laro is formally trained in dialectical behavioral therapy and DBT and has worked with Dr. Marsha Linehan, the developer of DBT. And she's also been gracious enough to let us call her Dr. Clara. <laughs> and she lectures and supervises for DBT graduate students at the University of Washington. Clara also has a background in cognitive behavior therapy, short-term and long-term psychotherapy, mindfulness, and relaxation training, which as you know, if you listen to us, we could use a lot of around here for Think Tank of Three. From her DBT work, the emergence of EI resources originated. EI resources believes that emotional intelligence skills should be taught early in life. It aims to increase emotional intelligence in our schools and workplaces, especially with people who are in leadership roles. EI resources also offers individual coaching and in-person presentations. Clara, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I thank you for having me. I'm a bit starstruck since I've been a fan for Think Tank of Three for a while. I'm really excited about this topic because I am feeling rather exhausted from the nonstop political discussion and, and the extreme feelings on both sides. But before we dig into this, it would be helpful if you could just give us a brief overview of what DBT is and why you use it. DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, started in the 90s, 1990s with Marsha Linehan out of University of Washington, has been one of the frontline treatments for things that are very challenging issues, suicidal ideation, suicidal behaviors, non-suicidal self-injury or cutting, as we may be more familiar with, also treats anxiety, depression, substance use, and some eating disorders. DBT, in a nutshell, is a skills-based approach. There's about 30 to 40 different skills that I teach my clients to use independently. I believe that DBT is a very empowering type of treatment in which my goal is that my clients need me less and less, that I've taught them well enough to utilize these skills uh, to improve their lives and to reach their goals. Awesome. Given this current political climate, it feels like no matter what side you're on, you're under attack. And I know that you have some history with that. You work with individuals who have different political opinions, but then you also had a, a household when you were a child that had pretty extreme sides. Yes, I do believe that I am paying tribute to my stepfather, who unfortunately passed away two years ago. 
entered my life at age 11 and had a, was a very different human from the norm of my peers and my family. My stepfather was not only unapologetic for who he is as his person, but profoundly unapologetic for his political views as well. I learned a lot about myself through the relationship over the years. I went from as a child being open to his views, adopting his views as a teenager and young adult to having my own views then solidifying my own views, which were vastly different from his and then judging his views, judging him as a person mm -hmm. to not speaking at times, not speaking about politics for sure, to radically accepting things I can't change. You ran the gamut. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot. A lot of it sounds familiar too. I feel like there's a lot of times when if I'm just like, I can't do this, I'll just, I'll just be quiet and people will have opinions I don't agree with. And I'm just like, doo, doo, doo. Mm -hmm. and years ago, I, ha I had to uh, talk with myself and I had to make a decision. You know, what do I want from this relationship? Where are my values here? And in this case, it, he's my mother's husband. I decided that I wanted, I wanted to value and execute harmony. I want, this was a relationship I did want to keep. The interesting part about it is though we had polar views, he was the kindest man and one of the kindest men that I've known to date. Very confusing. I, and part of what I've learned in turn, that what he had offered me was the opportunity to learn about being uncomfortable and that my brain, things don't fall into black and white, that as humans, we want things to fall easily and packaged nicely. And this relationship was not that. Mm. This rings so true for me. I know even for myself, I'm, I'm hearing your words and I'm thinking, wow, she's talking about me. <laughs> and I think for many of our listeners, we, when we have such different views from family members, it really causes a lot of confusion, like you said. And at times, I know we've even talked in private conversations with Think Tank of Three about how can two people look at the same, you know, hear the same thing, look at the same, you know, newspaper article, whatever that might be, and have two totally different understandings of it. But really, when we look at our values, like I look at my own father who has very different political viewpoints than I do. But when you look at our values, our values are very similar. And we have so much more in common than you would think based on the things that we say politically. I'm so glad that you're here to talk about this because gosh, ladies, like where do we dive in? How do we, how do we dissect this? I know. I, as you were saying that, Julie, I was just thinking so frequently, my father and I also have pretty different viewpoints. I've noticed that even though we want to take radically different paths sometimes, we actually want the same outcome, right? Yes. We, we want good things for our country. We want good things for our family and our friends. We want good things for the economy. Like, we want the same things. We just take different paths. And Sometimes I can be okay with that. And sometimes I'm like, you're wrong. There's just obviously I'm right. How do we maintain or, or grow those relationships, whether they be personal, like your father or professional? My boss and I have different political views. We don't talk about it very often, but I know there are things we've disagreed on in the past. How do you 
build those relationships, grow them, maintain them when you're on the other side of issues? Here's what I hinge off of. I feel as though that I do DBT, I got to walk my talk in DBT. Mm-hmm. And the heart of DBT is the dialectics, dialectical be- behavioral therapy. And what we mean by dialectics is there's truth on both ends of the pole. Even though it's a kernel of truth, there is still a truth that does exist that offers you not only a black and white picture, but there is a gray area, there's a middle path. And I do think within our relationships, we all have different middle paths with the individual. This is a story between me and my stepfather. And I have goals that are maybe very different with this than a coworker. I also may have different goals Uh, and values perhaps with a friend. I've had clients who've had to divorce their friends during this season. And I understand that. And I understand that that's the right choice for that individual. And I think that that's the place where you have to ask and have conversations with yourself. What's wise here? What upsets me? What is this a relationship I want to keep? What's my goal here? What are my values? That touches so much for me because unlike you three, I actually kind of line up pretty much in line with my parents. But one of my mother's closest nieces, I mean, they're, you know, the the best of friends, but she specifically does not talk politics with her Mm -hmm. because they are on completely polar opposites of the political spectrum, which blows my mother's mind. And so I've asked her, well, how do you even have a, she goes, we just don't. She goes, she'll say something and I will simply move to another topic. I will either say that's interesting and then I move it on. She goes, we just, we don't, we don't have the discussion, which makes me kind of impressed with how my mother handles that because I will get down in the <laughs> knockdown drive. Sometimes. <laughs> for me, politics is very personal and I know that isn't for everyone. Is it possible to find that common ground when starting from completely opposite spaces is it i mean like i said my mom just shifts to the left or shifts to the right doesn't even discuss it which i'm not 100 percent certain that that's healthy but then again maybe it is i do think that you know we're in the same storm different boats and that different people have different purposes perhaps in our lives and that i like in the world of politics and a situation like my stepfather and myself I like to use the words mystery, confusion, and curiosity. For me, what I fueled off of was learning. And that was my goal was I wanted to understand. I wanted to learn to be curious. And I had to make lemonade out of lemons. Ron, my stepfather, and from a previous podcast, I've learned that you guys had mentioned that he happened for me not to me, mm-hmm. as mentioned in one of your previous podcasts. So the, the lemonade is, I'm not afraid to have these conversations with like-minded individuals as my stepfather. I understand that people, I, I think it opened my mind to understand that people aren't so black and white and that there aren't so black and white in my world too. I have this friend for this purpose. I have this conversation for these purposes. I go to these support groups for for these goals as well and one person can't be my end all and that also unfortunately also means with politics as well i think what also i needed to learn was in addition to being curious and confused 
I had to learn how to manage my hurt with that as well. There's a bit, there's a degree of grief. I think that we experience when somebody has a, a polar opinion than us, because we feel as though that because he's a parental figure, at least in my world, why don't you understand? Why I don't, why, why don't we align? And there's some sadness there. I think honestly, some healthy sadness and in a way that it moves us towards acceptance. I get having differing opinions. I even get you're trying to reach the same goal. You're just trying to get there from a different perspective. I get that. But what happens when what they believe is the kernel of truth? You discuss the kernel of truth. What happens when the person you are speaking of and their kernel of truth flat out isn't true? When someone says Barack Obama is not an American citizen, I don't know where to go from there because that's a flat out lie. You're talking about my life since I was 11 years old. It's not, not perfect. These are curvy, sharp roads. And at the end of the day, I want to feel good about myself. At the end of the day, I'm not changing my stepfather's mind and vice versa. He's not changing mine either. Let's be clear. You know, I'm pretty solid on where I stand. There are times where, again, I don't speak to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I was okay with that those, at those times. There are times where we don't speak about politics. I'm okay with that too. And I feel as though that it's more of a commitment and a journey of this relationship. And at the end of the day, I want to feel good about me. Did I do me right? Not him. Did, was I okay with myself? Was I okay with my performance? Am I okay? Is my family okay? Is my husband okay? There are a lot of things that we, fortunately, as a family, we do get together a lot and we have to cope ahead. We have plans. Like if he says this, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. If he says that, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. You know, and, and there are times where, you know, I have to talk to him outside of these family events as well. We are talking about relationships within family or friends. Those tend to be really important internally. I can see how it might be easier to do this with family where like my dad and I are going to disagree, but he's always going to be my father. He loves me. I love him. But what about in the workplace? What if you work with someone who has very different views than you and they are loud and proud about them and they're, they're destructive or distracting, or you just don't feel comfortable, but I'm at work. I'm here to get my job done and I want to get along with my colleagues. But if I never see some of my colleagues again, but they're not my family. They're not my friends. They're people I work with. I think that there's a couple of things here that my brain is going. One is, yes, we have to, we, uh, sometimes we got to know what our triggers are, what upsets you the most, right? So these comments are fine. These comments are not fine. And so what do you, and then you need to decide how do I want to be? What are my goals here? What are my values how, at the end of the workday? Did I feel, do I feel good about myself? And so sometimes that means having a plan, like if that happens, here's what I'm going to say, or having a plan and say, hey, if I get revved up, do I need some coping skills? Well, in my world, we call it pace breathing. Do I need to exhale longer than my inhale to calm down? 
by the way, sometimes you want to count in four at beginning, count out six <laughs> when you do pace breathing. <laughs> um, some folks, they want to count in four, you want to count out eight to ensure that your exhale is longer than your inhale. With emotions, sometimes when your breath, when your exhale is shorter, like <gasps> that's what anxiety sounds like, sometimes anger often sometimes sadness as well. Long inhale, short exhale. Long inhale, short exhale. But if you go, it causes you to stop. And it triggers your parasympathetic nervous system, the nervous system that relaxes you. It also turns out is that accumulation of pace breathing over time can shape anxiety years off your life because now your brain and your body know how to relax itself. Wow. Your fight or flight is activated when you have less exhale. Your parasympathetic nervous system is activated with exhaling. So we all need to practice deep <laughs> so breathing <laughs> during this election season. This podcast <laughs> is coming out right before the big final day. And Audrey, I appreciate what you just said about, you know, really focusing on the professional because we can't control sometimes our professional environment. And although they're, you know, if it's severe enough, then we have to ask ourselves those questions about, am I in the right environment? I do also want to just say that not everyone has that safety, comfort, and stability of knowing that family will always be there. So just recognizing for those listeners who heard that and think, gosh, that might not be the situation I'm in. We hear you, we see you, we know what that's like too. Clara, I think that this feels so personal because we have so much at stake. For those of us that are really feeling this election season, here we are in the middle of a global pandemic. We have racial injustice at the height of what for our generations, our younger generations, anything we've seen in our lifetimes we have questions about our own financial stability, what's going to happen with the rest of 2020 and beyond. You know, so there's so many reasons why people are hurting. And I'm wondering if I can ask you about those who are really acting out or lashing out when it comes to the election. Do all of these things play into escalating their emotions because one of the things that really gets to me is I don't mind a difference in opinions and I don't mind a healthy debate or sharing of information but as soon as you call me an idiot or as soon as you start dropping f-bombs about people like me I'm immediately going to get defensive but all I can think of is hurt people hurt people so do you think that because we're in this pandemic that that is adding to what we're all feeling right now with this election season yes I do think that part what what we're seeing if you remember I'm going to rewind a little bit in your psych 101 days confirmation bias yeah. right where we look for things to confirm how we feel Yes. And part of it is anger, mm. right? Me personally, when I'm in confirmation by a zone, no one can tell me I'm wrong. It's a particular state of mind in which we look for things to confirm why we are right or how, why we feel this way. The interesting part about it is anger actually validates us because our confirmation by a zones does it looks for things to confirm why we are so upset. 
Wow. And how many of us are walking around or how many people do we see walking around in that heightened state of confirmation bias? And I wonder too, Clara, I mean, kind of segueing into, I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago about the media. And I, I obviously have a very personal viewpoint about the media having spent 12 years working in news. But I think the way people consume certain types of media can really impact how we're feeling and then how we're how we're treating other people is there a tactic we can use to minimize the inflammatory discourse so that we're having this real and honest conversation instead of just spewing things at each other yes and again i think we have to observe what our limits are and sometimes we don't know what our limits are until it's in front of our face and with that i would also say that you also have to watch what pokes at you I don't mind having a moment. It's the extra that we look for. Like I know if I see this post and I read the comments that I'm going to be upset. Never and read the lo comments. And, behold, and lo and behold, I'm correct. Four hours <laughs> later, I'm still upset. And then it's two o'clock in the morning. I have to wake up at six. I'm, you know, I drag my feet the, the following day. There's extra. And I think we as people have to ask ourselves, like, at what point do I need to stop? At what point do I need to put, you know, for instance, maybe it's your Facebook and you need to put in your library on your iPhone. It's not on the face anymore. Maybe it's, again, using things like pace breathing or something cold or anything that triggers your parasympathetic nervous system. You know, maybe it's exercise, for instance, that to help cope with the news uh, maybe it's a lot of uh, mind, using some meditation and mindfulness, being able to stay in the present, knowing what's happening now and what's taking you away in with your emotions. Sometimes a lot of it is balancing it with positives. One thing that I've seen lately that has been a huge trigger for me is when someone posts, if you believe X, unfollow me or unfriend me or whatever. Over half of the time, I agree with them. 90% of the time, because I you know, have friends who think like me. But when I see that post, I think I don't even want to be your friend anymore. If you're that closed-minded that you can't talk to me if I believe something different than you, I don't want this. And I'll get so worked up. And then I'll be like, why am I mad? Just back away from the situation. Turn Facebook off. Turn Instagram off. Turn Twitter off. It's hard, even when you share opinions, to participate with someone who refuses to have any connection with someone who's different than them. Like that feels like a personal attack on me, even though it's not a personal attack on me. I think what you're observing for yourself are your limits, right? Mm -hmm. There is a limit here where if I know, if I see this post, right, that would be, if you will, like a trigger or maybe, maybe mm -hmm. not a hard trigger, but a soft trigger. And so that's where you can decide, like, do I want to engage in this? Watch where your brain goes and how much you're evaluating that as well. Is that your extra? Mm. Is that some place where I need to block? Is that some place where I have to decide, hey, you know, I know this is a soft trigger. I know what's unhelpful. I'm going to put my phone in between my mattress and you know, <laughs> cook some dinner. I don't know. <laughs> or do something different, I think right. is what I'm saying. You know, that we all seem to have hopefully some control over. Audrey, I'm with you too. I see those posts and I'm like, who are you even convincing? All you're doing is rallying the people who already agree with you. Right. And 
if you actually wanted to make a difference, shouldn't you be saying something, using some words, some communication tactics to actually talk to the people who might be undecided, who aren't, you know, who are on the fence, who you might be able to teach and coach and share your thoughts with. The rest of it just is like, you're not helping anyone. <laughs> I just wrote about this in the last blog post because I read an article from a woman who was at the, the Westboro's Baptist church, like the, the crazy church. And she ended up having conversations on Twitter of all places that changed her mind and she left the church and she's now a strong supporter of human rights, wow. we'll just say. But it was because someone engaged in a dialogue with her and they didn't put her down. They just said, tell me what you think. What about this? What about this? And for me, that really stuck in my brain because I thought that is how you change the hearts and minds of people is you engage. But then I also know that not everyone can engage. I think it also sometimes depends on what the topic is, what the subject is. A friend of mine posted something on our, our WhatsApp group, a little crass, so I will clean it up, but <laughs> it's two women and, and one says, see, we can agree to disagree, which sounds quite reasonable to me. And then the other one says, yeah, on pizza toppings, not on racism. And then there's a epithet at the end. <laughs> and I think that's another part of it depends on 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 what it is when i mean i agreed you know the minute you lay down an ultimatum and i haven't even read what your ultimatum is right about, you've already come out right and I, you, you make me want to unfollow you because I, I don't even know what you're about to say but you've already put out this negative energy you've, right. you've already hurt your own cause whatever that cause is but then if your cause or if your statement and again i i use this one only because it's the easiest go-to safest one of proof when your point is Barack Obama was not born in the United States <laughs> I don't know I can't so I come back to that it's like that's just flat out false I don't agree with you and the only thing I keep to prove that to you is fly your booty to Hawaii to the and get the birth certificate I don't know what else to tell you <laughs> I would like to be volunteered to fly to Hawaii I know I'm, I'm with you, Rish, you know, I agree with you, but also if Hawaii is an option. Check it out, lady. Yeah, right? <laughs> I guess. But I wonder if that's where some of this is sitting is, I think I've said it before that I'm no longer concerned about allowing you to feel comfort with my discomfort. I get discomfort. Mm -hmm. I understand having to be in a space for uncomfortable discussions. And I think, Audrey, what you were talking about with, with the woman in the church, I think that's, that is phenomenal because you know, for whoever was involved in those conversations, they all felt strongly on either mm -hmm. side, but for someone to literally readjust their thought process to recognize, hmm, perhaps I was looking at this from a, from right. not the right perspective. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. But it can be tough depending on, on what that topic is. I think the toughest part also with political conversations is the sadness and the grief. Absolutely. You know, that it's, I, I'm with you. There's a million and one examples that are understood as the truth and are the truth. And it's sad when somebody I care about doesn't see it. Even if that's a care, if I care about you as a coworker or maybe somebody who lives four doors down from me, I still care about you. And it's sad 
And I think that's interesting part about talking about politics and this topic of this podcast, it actually turns out it's a conversation about grief and sadness. What is the best way for us to avoid the conversation altogether? My go-to example is my brother and I just have wildly different political stances and worldviews. And he is a wonderful human, but sometimes just hearing his thoughts is exhausting, even, even when he's respectful. And he is. He is not trying to be rude or, or condescending. He just, the world, the sky is green to him and it's blue to me. And I have a couple of coworkers who are the same thing, like just talking to them, even when we agree, is exhausting. How do you disengage altogether respectfully when you're just not feeling it? I think we know the generals, you know, the, our tones, our kindness. I think what helps us also get through it is there's a skill called willing hands in DBT. Willing hands is when your palms are up on your lap. It's the opposite of where your arms crossed of your chest. Most of us are very comfortable with. Willing hands can be a very new behavior and can be uncomfortable from the beginning. When you sit like this with your palms up on your lap, it's actually what people do when they meditate. And it turns out there's neurological research that support. It's hard to stay angry at somebody in this position. Oh, I'm using that for my next fight. Because you're open. Yeah. Yeah. And your mind is open. So I have a lot of clients and willing hands in traffic. I have a lot of clients. (laughs) doing willing hands, even when they accept a compliment. That's hard for some people. It's hard for me too. And so willing hands is something, it's a behavior as on paper seems easy, but when we're upset and there's all this other gunk, there's history, there's family stuff that all kind of play all up in this cluster that it's easy to cross your arms over your chest and just hmm. closed off. Willing hands can be a solution. It actually comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. If you're familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a mindfulness guru. He wrote a book about mindfulness and anger. And this is one of the skills that he had suggested. The other one that's very similar, it's called half smiling. So if you can practice with me for just a moment, half smiling is where all the muscles on your face are relaxed. Your eyebrows, your forehead, your jaw just melt to the floor. And ever so imperceptibly, the corners of your mouth increase. You're not yet smiling, but the corners of your mouth are upward. This is similar to how I'm laughing too, Audrea. I can't help but like once you start, like I want to, I want to smile the whole way. I'm like, keep it down, keep it down. But is that the point? But is that the point? We were not laughing at you because, like, wow, my eyes are watering. Like that was was actually powerful. In my opinion, willing hands is a lot easier because you're upset. You're in the moment. There's this cluster going on, right? I have to now think about relaxing my face and all these muscles. That takes a lot of practice, and it is a misnomer. I think that calling it smiling when you're not actually supposed to be smiling just the corners of your mouth are upward for me i actually on a complete side note i do have smiling when i want to i need to fall asleep it helps just kind of relax and being open for my body to fall asleep but willing hands i do more behaviorally during the day 
when somebody upsets me, when I get annoyed, or somebody says something that, you know, obviously that I disagree with. Let's say we are, we're in a conversation, problematic conversation. You're getting deep into it. Family, friends. My husband and I have had a couple of, of discussions and sometimes I have reverted to, you're just never going to understand. You just don't get it. I'm done. And I shut down. And he gets frustrated with me how you can't just shut down. And then I have a friend who she and her husband, they just don't talk about certain things. Now I can get how my mother and her bestie first cousin can do that because one, they don't live in the same house. Mm -hmm. They don't see each other every single day. So there, it's very easy for my mom to, to maneuver that relationship. But when you're in the same home as someone, that's going to be a little bit more difficult to maneuver. So now you have to figure out how do you back away with that without damaging that relationship or mm -hmm. is, is the whole my mom's version that's interesting and shuttle to the other side is that the answer so i actually think what comes to my mind and i should say it's not a dbt skill just one of these clarism that pops up over the years i call it band-aid before the wound where you state your intentions before you state what you want before you state what you need or what you what you want to say my intentions is not to hurt you my intentions is for you to hear me because when we are in a place commonly where we are to guess somebody's intention, by and large, we commonly guess ill intentions of the individual we're talking to. This person's out to get me. This person doesn't understand. This person hates me. And so if you state your intentions before you're asked, then the person understands where you're coming from. What you're asking may sound completely ridiculous. And now I understand. I like that a lot. I think it's very hard to have a conversation with someone when you assume ill intent, but it's so easy to assume bad intent. Well, remember the saying, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> Let me just tell you guys, I am an ass a lot of the time. <laughs> Won't surprise anyone. <laughs> Clara, my last question for you, you know, I really want to address in two parts. Election day is next week and then election day will pass. And one way or another, half the country is going to be happy with the results. The other half is not, at least when it comes to a presidential election. I know there are lots of elections obviously taking place. So I want to look at this in two parts because here we are still gearing up for that day. And then we have what follows that day. And I know how I felt four years ago. And I'll just share that four years ago, I know we don't really necessarily talk politics. We don't typically share our individual viewpoints, but I, I'm going to share right now because I, I want to be honest and say that I was depressed. I felt a low that I had not felt outside. I mean, there, there was nothing that had physically happened to me. There was nothing that was, you know, people weren't even saying bad things to me. And so this was one of the first times in my life that I felt a certain way and I couldn't quite pinpoint why. And I have a feeling that, you know, that those feelings, whether it's depression or elation or everything in between, those feelings are coming. And those feelings are feelings that we've all been experiencing, I think, leading up to the election as well. 
So what are some things that we can do? You've given us such great tactics so far. What are some things that we can do to really minimize that the stress without disengaging or without letting this really overrun our lives? How do we start to deal with this on a personal level? I think as cheesy as it sounds, we, need, we needed to do self-care yesterday. We need to get ourselves in a routine. We get an accountable to what our self-care routines are. Our vulnerabilities with COVID, you know, with the state of the world, with the politics are, are high, meaning that any little pebble, can, we can explode. And so the way that we care for ourselves matters. I also think that we have to identify who are our, our support groups, where's our bubble, Ensure that you're, you're, ordering, you're not ordering pizza from McDonald's, that your support group actually does help support you in whatever, whatever that means. I also think that we all have seemingly strong values and passions. I think that people who are more content with themselves and more content with their lives are people who align themselves with their values. Mm-hmm. That's a behavior that we can identify we can start doing now to be able to contribute to our passions and causes. That can look as little as money donations, phone bankings, joining boards, volunteering. But they're all behaviors that when we contribute, it turns out we actually feel good about ourselves as well. I love that so much, volunteering, finding your tribe, which we all have a tribe right here with Think Tank of Three, and self-care. That, Clara, that is so important, I think, leading up to election day and beyond. We can start doing that right now. We can start with that self-care to really help us get through what's coming. I also love how you said, don't be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations and be uncomfortable but go back to the value of the relationship. Is this a relationship I really want to keep engaging in? Is it one where, like your stepfather, right? You just shut it down, or like my brother. Or is it one where you engage in that discussion because it's valuable to have the ability to talk and learn where the other side is coming from? And I think it is so important for me and my values to be able to understand the opposition. I'm not going to change my mind they're not going to change my mind. Chances are like, I believe what I believe and I've got there on my own, Mm -hmm. but I really want to understand. I think there's some acceptance to the fact that we may not ever understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You you might be dealing with individuals that even when they try to explain where they're coming from, even that explanation has you like, what? Yeah. So might, maybe there's an acceptance factor that falls in line where you, you just have to for lack of a better term, here we come back to it again, agree to disagree, even though what I'm disagreeing with is pretty major, because I really just don't get even where you're, I'm trying, like, you know, I've done that. I'm like, I'm really trying to understand. And if you could see, if you guys listening could see my hand shaking right now. (laughs) Trying really hard to understand. Really trying hard to understand. And so I'm going to move my hands to open. And try to relax them because even though they're open, they are tense as all get out. Uh (laughs) But there's that part of it that your intention is to understand. And even with that intention, that may not happen either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
to loop this back with the relationship with my stepfather. We've had 30 plus years together, again, before his passing in 2018. I had to really think about like, what was it for me? And I'm sorry, I'm getting teared up because I do believe that he taught me how to be a critical thinker, how not to be afraid, but it came out so aggressive and hurtful on his end. And yet I wanna feel good about me. How do I understand this? How do I learn from it? How do I become a better person? Not about him or changing him or accepting that, you know, none of that. It was about the relationship that I had with myself. That also speaks to how phenomenal you are. Yes. Because that that could have turned you a completely different direction. But look what it did, Dr. Dr. Laro. Look what it did. But it's a journey. It's a commitment to those values and the acceptance that the journey's not perfect. And those are hard days. Those may be even hard years. And never once today have you said, well, you know, you have to be wishy-washy in how you feel in order to preserve relationships. No, that is not at all. You know, Risha, I love when you say this. You can never say this too much. When you say those words that people need to be uncomfortable with your discomfort, I mean, that is what this is all about. We have to stay true to what we believe and find the best ways to listen and understand. And if we can't understand, then accept. This has been so insightful. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today, Clara. This is so much fun and also really hard, but fun. Before we go though, we are collecting advice from successful women in our communities and we are sharing it in our Think Tank forum. So we have three rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Number one, is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? Yes. And here's what I'll say. It is to know who has power over you. I've had situations, particularly in my field, I was incredibly intimidated, imposter syndrome to the max. One day, my, one of my great mentors, I was highly stressed and anxious and working for other people to be happy and working for their approval She sat me down one day and she says, do they have power over you? What's the power that they would have over your career? And the fact of the matter is they did not. So when I let that go, I thrived. Amazing. Who you gave your power to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. From lessons that you have learned, feeling from that, what advice would you offer any career woman? I would say you would really have to think about who's your tribe, who's in your support team. I think for me personally, there was, again, a lot of sadness and grief that it was not the people who I initially thought it would be. And they have changed over time. And I think there's an acceptance and openness to that change. In today's professional setting, what do you think the most important skill is for women? I think it's being happy for other women who have what you want. I Amen. Think- <laughs> yes. Sorry, I just got to cheer for that one. Yes. <laughs> Cheering each other on. <laughs> Stop hating. Yes. Start loving. Stop yes. hating. Start women loving. Helping yes. women being proud. I think envy is a silent and sly emotion. 
Mm. And it's something that we don't talk much about. And yet it comes out in very interesting ways. And I feel as though is that if we can be loving and kind and do and wish people well, there's a loving kindness meditation by Sharon Salzberg that I use a ton about when, when your brain goes into, if I see somebody that has my age and has my dream car, what can my brain do? I wish them well. I use a loving kindness meditation. I love that a lot. Can you share Dr. Clara, Dr. Laro? Dr. <laughs> oh man, I don't know how you do that. Rishi just like comes off of your tongue. Dr. Clara, Dr. Laro. You're so good. You're so professional. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when you have Rishia Dion candidate Capasurus. <laughs> so good. I, I have no choice but to figure it all out. Yeah, you're, you're doing well. I'm going to take lessons. Dr. Clara, can you share the best way for our audience to connect to you if they have additional questions or business interests? Emotional intelligence tools with the S.com. Also feel free to email me at clara at emotionalintelligencetools.com. Also my private practice for clinical psychology is at seattlepsychstudio.com. That's psych, P-S-Y-C-H. Email me at clara at seattlepsychstudio.com. And for listeners outside of the Seattle area, do you work with people outside of this geographic area or only in Seattle? Especially with my emotional intelligence, EI resources. EI resources is a global, I can reach out globally. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. It has been so enlightening. Thank you so much, Dr. Clara, for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight and your time. And that is going to do it for this episode of Think Tank 3. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankof3 at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankof3.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.